Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240, for Autumn Semester 2023. Today, present value and future value and a few other things along the way, enhancing your Mad Excel skills. Before we do that, as always, we have a look at the numbers. And the numbers, well, let me try. Let me start with you. You can tell me what you see. Uh, madam, is it a good day or a bad day? A bull day or a bear day? I know, right? That's exactly. I'm trying to get you to say something wrong. Sort of, I don't know, you know, a mixed day on the street. Uh, the, as you can see, the markets were sort of in a weird mood. There wasn't really a lot of movement, although the NASDAQ was down more than half a percent. You got the S&P down a little bit, the Dow up uh, a third of a percent. And the problem here is that the Fed spoke, uh, the chairman of the Fed spoke today about interest rates, and he said they're going to hold them right where they are. No more, no increase in the interest rates right now, although he cautioned that there probably will be one more rate hike down the road just to kill off any residual inflation that could be coming along. But you, you would think that would make the markets, yay, yippee, wee. Well, they expected it. So that wouldn't be news today. That would have been an expectation that would have been in there from the days, from the few days prior. So whatever went on with the market today was, would have been new expectations. And there weren't any real new expectations. Everything is just kind of drifting along. And so the markets really don't have a lot to say about a day like that. If you look at the volume on the Standard Poor's of the 500 giant stocks, again, look at how thin that volume is compared to an average. Uh, compared to the average over the last year, daily average of 3.8 billion shares. Today, we have mustered near the closing bell only 1.2, so it's only a third of the typical day, less than a third of the typical day. So that's just the investors staying on the sidelines, waiting to see what excitement happens next. Well, the good news is that oil is trying to pull back down now. From what I've heard, there's, the supply is not going to be nearly as restricted. So I would not be surprised if oil still finds its way back down into that band and with, that had the top at 88. But right now it's at 90.27 on the light suite. So that, that's good news for us, although I do expect gas prices to go up, uh, in the, not much, but they'll go up in the near future, just because crude is a little more expensive. Gold tried to make a run, and it didn't, make, it didn't go anywhere. It's up a little bit, but nothing to write home about. Same with silver. Now, the 10-year bond, the yield is down. That, which means the price is up. The yield is down because the Fed is saying that there won't be any increases, and so that lets a little bit more pressure off interest rates on 
uh, debt securities. So the bonds are down, uh, the yields are down, so the prices are up, buying into the bond market. Investors putting a little money into bonds. Now, interestingly enough, you see that the euro shot up, appreciated strongly. That was the Fed news that it wasn't going to raise American interest rates, which means that, relatively speaking, European, British interest rates would be going up. But, and so the euro should get stronger. But then something really spooked uh, the market and the dollar began to appreciate. In other words, euro began to depreciate. That might have been, and I, I'll have to, I didn't watch for this. It might be that the uh, Eurozone had made an announcement that it wasn't going to raise interest rates anymore for a while either. So that would have brought the Euro back down. The pound sterling tried to make a run up and then it slid. The yen going up, but that's reversed. It was depreciating too. So nothing much there to talk about. Uh, Tokyo was down, and that, oddly enough, Nikkei, well, the 225, the 225 big stocks on the uh, Tokyo exchange, they just had a grouchy day. They just slid. It wasn't anything awful. It was about two-thirds of a percent, but still, I mean, it went down. On the other hand, London was in a good mood. I don't know what it was over there that got them chipper, but it just sort of climbed all through the day, up almost a full percent by the, by the end. So there you are. How much time do we have left? We have less than an hour left uh, before the closing bell here. So there you are. Good news. Now I'm going to put up a stock uh, or two here just to keep that on you about that, about stocks. And... Um, My interest. Matter of fact, let me look at um, Comcast. Why would that have such a? Uh, why would that have such a long trading symbol? Is that a mutual fund? That's an odd trading symbol. Usually you see four, three, two, or one, and Comcast has a five, a CMCSA. Well, interestingly enough, Comcast has been having challenges. Uh, it's just jacking up its prices up and up and up at the same time that consumers are pulling away from cable television because there's so many streaming services now that uh, there's not a whole lot of need for these uh, dinosaur cable companies. Comcast does have a huge business, though, in providing internet service only. As a matter of fact, I use that. And so that can support them for a while. But as you can see, Comcast is nearly the market. It's 0.99 beta. It has uh, slightly undervalued, not really much undervalued. Uh, as far as P.E. ratio. EPS, it's profitable. It pays a dividend, which probably supports the somewhat lower beta that at least investors will get that. But look at that one-year target price on Comcast right now. I'm going to run this number just so you have another example of it. 
Okay, that's not going to work. Let's try the calculator there. And let's see what Yahoo says the gain will be if you buy a share of Comcast. Well, you take the, one, the price one year out, sell it in a year for 48.88, divide that by what you'd buy it for today at 45.65, and then you subtract one, don't ever forget to do that, and then we times it by 100 to get a percent. So your capital gain, the rise in the stock price for a year would be a kind of lousy 7.08%. That's not very impressive at all. Now, of course, you have to add in the dividend yield, which would be 2.54%. So your total one-year holding period return for buying a share of Comcast and selling it in a year would be 9.62%. For a stock that has a beta of almost exactly one, uh, that's not a really impressive uh, return. And I, you know, I guess if you like that kind of a stock, yeah. But oh, I've shown you stocks that had lower betas that had much better returns. So Comcast kind of looks like a a weak investment, something that you might do if you didn't have any better inspiration. Now, sticking with the telecoms, just going over here and looking at AT&T. Up a little bit today. Now, notice that T, that's the New York Stock Exchange, classic, one letter, NYSE. Okay, and uh, going through it, You'd buy a share for $15.59, you'd sell it for $15.58. Now the one year, it's a little closer, it's a little closer to its low for the over the past year than it is to its high. Because it swung over the year from 1343 to 2153, and right now it's trading at 1558, about 1558 on the mark. So yeah, it, it, it's at the tight bid ask. Still weak volume. It's not as bad as the overall market, but as you can see, even stocks that are buying and selling a lot aren't selling as much on an, as they have on an average day over the last year. Now, beta is only three-fourths of the world portfolio as far as volatility goes. So it's a relatively safe stock. I mean, AT&T is just a giant company. But P-E ratio is N-A. That's because the EPS is negative. Remember what I said, if the earnings per share, if the company is losing money, then, that does, then there's no P-E ratio to report. So AT&T is losing money. So that's, yeah. But it does pay out, whoa, look at that dividend. That dividend is 7.36%. So even though this company's <coughs> losing money, uh, as far as profit goes, it's still paying a robust dividend. In other words, you buy, you pay fifteen, you put fifteen fifty-seven into this stock, fifteen dollars fifty-seven cents. Regardless of whether the stock goes up or not, you're going to get a return of seven point three six percent on that fifteen dollars fifteen fifty-seven cent investment. Now that's not shabby at all. I, I, you could, that's decent just on the dividend. 
But now let's go through that same pain in the butt exercise and let's have a look at how this stock, if you held it for a year, you buy it today and sell it in a year, you'd sell it at $18.58 divided by what you bought it at today, a year previously, $15.57, minus one, and then time, whoa, times 100. That is decent. The capital gain, just the stock price going up, is 19.33%. And if you add in the dividend of 7.36%, well, that is a hell of a good uh, investment. 26.69% on a stock with a beta of 0.75. You can see that 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 is that just dominates Comcast, which had a higher beta, higher risk, a lower dividend, and a much lower overall gain on the one-year investment. So this is what one of the things I'm trying to get you to be able to remember when you come out of this course. You can look at these stocks and you can make relative decisions without having an investment advisor, without watching financial TV shows or listening to finance guru blogs, you can look at it for yourself. Relatively speaking, Comcast is just not going to be something I'm interested in. Not compared to something like AT&T. That's a heck of a good thing. And as you can see, even though it's losing money, and that's the weird part, is AT&T is losing money right now. So, you know, that goes back to the old thing, profit isn't as important as free cash flow. It's likely that this stock is so, showing such strength because even though on paper, income statement, it's losing money, as far as the free cash flow, which I showed you how to calculate, and we'll do more of that, this company is doing pretty darned well right now. Okay, lesson learned. Okay, time value of money. Now, as I've told you before in this course, there are formulas that I would really prefer, I mean, if you're a formulas kind of person, uh, go for it. But I like to do things with calculators and Excel. This is the information age. You are going to be whipped by the tail if you are doing things on paper and the, uh, artificial intelligence that's competing for your job is popping up in Excel and doing it or something like that. That's why I, uh, I encourage you to do these in Excel or on a calculator. Now today, most of it I'll do on in Excel. And obviously, I encourage you strongly to know these financial, ex these Excel call these little calling formulas to do these, like present value and future value. They, uh, you can even calculate the balance on a loan with the Excel. You can do anything you want. I don't even write most of the formulas on the board. I write a few, like the first ones I'll write, because sometimes uh, it's more of a pain to, to write it up in Excel than it is to just do it on a calculator, a plain old calculator. And that's true with the 
first couple of formulas that I'll show you here today. But in general, have your Excel out and just make sure that you can crank these uh, as I'm doing them. They're not difficult formulas, you just have to remember what to put where in the formulas. And fortunately, Excel gives you a little bit of guidance on that even. So, without further ado, well, I've got something I have to do here, very importantly. Hey, I got money for Denny's, Denny's tonight, yo. Yeah, okay. Woman, I could give you this $20 bill right now, or I can give it to you in a year. Which do you prefer? Oh, yeah, sure. Now better than later. You know, instant gratification people. The hell are you wearing a tie for? <laughs> no, seriously, noob. I mean, I see you in t-shirt. Oh, okay. I don't like change. My cats don't either, you know. But we're conservative types. You look good, though. You look very sharp. I still don't trust you. Okay, the point that I'm making here is that money now is worth more than money later. Because in a year, you might not need $20, or, you know, you might be dead, or you might have been captured by aliens and they don't use $20 bills, they use uh, what kind of Gorkle money that they, they use on planet Gorkle or something, I don't know. But you see, now is worth more than later. That's the concept of present value. Money in the future decays in value as it comes to the present. You take, if I were going to give you $20 in a, in a year, you might take a little less than that just to have the money now. That's the present value formula. We call this process discounting. Discounting. You remember that because I always do a, a question on a test where I say finding present value is discounting. That's why you'll hear me say the discount rate. It brings money back from some time in the future to the present. On the other hand, if you have money now, it can become more later if you don't spend it. But the best case scenario is that money that you have now can become more later. We call that compounding. So when you find a present value, you are discounting. When you find a future value, you are compounding. Again, this is one of my favorite questions to ask on a quiz and or an exam. So just remember this. You will get two points, so you will not go home empty-handed. The formula. Ah. Fu uh, the future value of money is the present value of that money times one plus the interest rate to the, to the t power. Now this r here is the periodic discount, the periodic rate. The periodic rate. This t is the number of periods.
Now this is about the only place you can make a mistake but in Excel and you have to remember this in Excel because Excel is going to expect you to do the period the periodicity. So for example, if the annual interest rate Suppose your annual interest rate is 12%. The number of years is 5. And the number of compoundings per year is 1. Then the periodic R and the number of periods will be one compounding for a year, 12% divided by one, which will be 12%. And the number of periods will be five times one. And again, you have to remember to do this in Excel because it won't do it on its own. You have to do this, and I'll show you in a little bit. But if the annual rate is 12%, number of years is five, and there are two compoundings per year, in other words, it's semi-annual, that's the term we use, semi-annual, then the periodic rate would be 12% over two, which is 6%, and the number of periods would be five times two, which is 10. In other words, there would be 10 semi-annual compoundings in five years. Up the game, 12% for five years. And say we have quarterly compounding, quarterly compounding. That would be four periods per year, so the percent you would use in the formula would be 12 divided by 4, which is 3%, and the number of periods would be 5 times 4, which is 20 periods. In other words, there are 20 quarters in 5 years. I'm going to take this, it'll seem tedious, but I've got a point that I'm trying to get to here the long way. Suppose that we had 12% for five years, but we had monthly compounding. That would be 12 periods. So our interest rate would be 12% for the periods divided by 12. So that'd be a 1% compounding per month, and it would be five times 12, or 60 months in five years. Nothing, nothing complicated. But it gets a little bit odd. Well, uh, suppose we had daily compounding. 12% five years. How many days are in a year? 365. Very good. 
but not good enough. Because the strangest thing about this is, and this is old tradition, although the number of periods would be 5 times 365, and if you think I'm going to do that in my head, you are wrong. I'm going to do it on a happy calculator. 365 times 5 years, 1825 days. In 5 years. However, you don't divide. See how I divided by? In this case, I will take 12% divided by 360. You're saying, wait a minute, fat boy, isn't it 365? No, it's 360. Now, the, the supposed reason for this is that there are 360 banker's days in a year. There used to be, now heaven knows what it is. But the actual reason is a little bit odd. Before there were spreadsheets, before there were calculators, all of this had to be done on paper, in your head, or with these things that were called slide rules. And the number, a divisor of 360 has a mathematical trick that makes it easy to find the answer. I'm not even going to show it to you. Now we don't even need to use it, but still the tradition holds. Number of the denominator for the R is 360. The multiplier on the exponent is 365. It's just how it works. And it works to the advantage of uh, someone who's putting money in the bank because the exponent is moving faster a little faster than the denominator is slowing down the periodic interest rate. Like I said, it's, it's, you don't need to know the history of it, just make sure that you know that. And Excel kind of knows it, I think it kind of knows it, sometimes it does. But anyway, that's where that comes from. And do a little problem here. You put $800 into a bank account that pays 8PR annual percentage rate of 5%. How much will you have? After 10 years, well, you'd have the future value, in other words, we want something that's going to happen down the road, 
would be $800 times 1 plus 0 0.05 divided by, oh, 5%, let me do, I'm sorry, compounded quarterly. So compound quarterly, it'd be 800 times the quantity 1 plus 0 0.05 over 4 to the 4 times, whoops, 10 times 4, or 4 times 10. You got to watch it. Doing this on a calculator, watch out your, for your parentheses because any good scientific calculator is going to expect things to go in the order of parentheses and then multiplications and divisions, then additions and subtractions. So in this case, if I wanted to do this one, I would take 800 <coughs> times, open parenthesis, 1 plus 0 0.05 divided by 4, close the parentheses, and then raise it. This is where I've it's easy to make this mistake. Put parentheses to trap that uh, 10 times 4. And close the parentheses. I did that wrong. Let me do that again. I put a 10 there. 800 times, open parentheses, 1 plus 0 0.05 divided by 4, close the parentheses, raise it to the power, open parenthesis, 4 times 10. You have and 90 cents, rounded to the dollars and cents. A little mention here. Well, just a little mention here. Um, these finance formulas, whether you do it on a calculator or in Excel, there's something that will happen. If you put a number in wrong, it almost always will give an answer that looks ridiculous. If you get an answer that looks like it makes sense, you're probably either right or close to being right. The reason is this. These formulas all use exponents. So whenever you make a mistake, that mistake blows up, for lack of a better term, exponentially. So making a mistake, it's almost like the formula will tell you that something's wrong here. I look at this. I threw, a, I threw $800 into the bank. I don't get to use it for, 13, uh, for 10 long years. So at the end of that, at 5%, yeah, it should be a little, it should be more. It should be about $1,300, some, $1,200, something like that. So that answer makes sense. If I had made a mistake, 
it would not have looked nearly as right. And that's something you'll see all the time with these formulas. If you, whether you're doing a present value, future value, lump sums, annuities, or uh, things like that, payments on a loan, which you can do with this, it will look wrong if you've made a mistake. Okay, enough on that one. There's a twist on this formula, though. And, oh, there we go. There's a twist on this formula, though. Interestingly, the future value calculation is not quite as common as the backward calculation, finding a present value. If I take this formula and roll it around, then I would get that the future value over 1 plus r to the t is the present value. In other words, I could take a future amount of money and discount it back to the present. In that last one, I compounded forward. Future value, compounding. This one, the, I'm going to take the, find the present value, which means I've got a discount. Now, the twist on this, and you can do this if you want or not. Oops, I mean present value. Let me correct that, present value. You will see me write that. Instead of PV equals FV over 1 plus R to the T, you'll see me write it as PV equals FV times 1 plus R to the negative T. Remember, reciprocal is a negative uh, on the exponent. The reason I do that, and it's just a personal choice, is this. Dividing by a complex calculation is asking for pain. If I can do it all on the same line, where all I have are multiplications, I'm not as likely to forget a parenthesis or something like that. It's just, that's, uh, and I'm not the only one who does that. It'll, it's up to you, whichever way you want to find a uh, present value. Okay. I'm going back to you with that 20. It's actually, I was going to give you $15,000 in 10 years. I'm going to give it to you, okay? Now, that means in 15 years, you'll be okay. That'll be great, right? But wouldn't you take some lesser amount if you could get it right now? It, you probably would be willing to shave a couple of grand off that. Yeah, if you could get it right now, of course you would. I mean, a party in 15 years with your money uh, would not be, or 10 years or whatever, would not be nearly as lit as a party that you could have now with a little less money. Right? Yeah. I mean, when you're 15 years older, your idea of a party is everyone going down for ice cream sodas at the, uh, at the uh, Dairy Queen. But now, 11,000? Something like that? Oh yeah, there's plenty of room for you know, all the good things in life. You know, the Jack Daniels, the Mollies, the Addy, and, oh, sorry. 
<laughs> don't do that kind of stuff. God, heathen. Okay, watch now. Watch what I do. Let's say I got to give you a nickname because I'm not supposed to use formal names in class. So I will call you Shirley. And the reason I'm doing that is that when I say I'm going to give this, surely you want this money, you won't say, don't call me Shirley. God, it's a, you're, this is a rough crowd for heaven's sakes, you know? <laughs> give me a break. <laughs> okay. What is the present value? of $15,000 in, let's say, in 10 years. If you discount the money Ten percent compounded. Well, let's say monthly. Present value will equal your future value, fifteen grand times one plus point one zero monthly would be twelve to the negative 12 times 10. Now, like I said, you can do this in Excel, but it's actually more of a pain in the butt than if you just do it, run it on your calculator. If I do this on just the calculator, clear, clear, I'll do 15 grand times, open parenthesis, one plus, whoops, no, one plus point one zero divided by 12, close the parenthesis, raise that, and I'm going to open parenthesis, and I'm going to take 12, hit the plus minus button times the 15 years. Was it 15 or 10? 10, okay. 10 years. Close the parenthesis. 5,541 dollars and 10 cents. 5541.10. Nothing hard about that. Nothing hard about that at all. Just be careful of your parentheses. That's the only thing you have to watch out for, trapping that exponent in parentheses. Now, a variation on this. A variation is that every interest rate, if it's, if it's compounded, 
more than once a year, it becomes a little bit more than the what we call the statutory, the stated rate. We can do something, it's a calculation, it's a quick, dirty calculation. You can actually do it on in Excel too. If I have time today, I'll show you. Otherwise, I'll show you on Monday. There's a number called the effective rate. This is taking the compounding rate and turning it into an annual rate. In other words, doing this compounding stuff here, this effective rate says, what would you use as the actual rate if you didn't want to do the exponents and the divisions? Effective rate. It's really a simple calculation. All you do is take the R, 1 plus periodic R to the number of compoundings per year. So in other words, that effective rate right there would, oh, minus one, minus one. <laughs> so in other words, the effective rate on that deal right there would be one plus the stated rate over 12 to the 12th power minus one. Now I caution you on something here. Well, let me do the formula first. Open the parenthesis, 1 plus 0.1 divided by 12, close the parentheses, to the 12th power, minus 1. Ten point four seven percent That's the effective rate. In other words, I can do it that weird way down there. Or if I knew the effective rate, I could just use 0.1047 and to the uh, number of years, and I get the same answer. Here's how I can try to bluff you on a test. This is actually a really easy one to calculate. But the way I could bluff you is I could give you a long problem like the one I gave you over there, or a loan problem, or something like that with monthly or weekly payments, or something like that. And then I'll say, what's the effective rate? The only numbers that matter are all the numbers about how much you're borrowing or how much you're putting in the bank or whatever like that. I'll, I'll give you those. But the only numbers that you use in the effective rate formula are the APR and the number of compoundings nothing else. So if I give you all these numbers, all you do is find the APR and the number of compoundings per year. That's the only, you don't even need to know the number of years. The formula just needs those two numbers. And you got it. So watch out for that on a test. It's a really rapid calculation that looks like it's a nightmare, but it's not. Hmm. Enough of that one. Here's where the fun begins.
I'm going to bring up Excel. I'm going to make it bigger so I can see it. And you're going to see me do some best practices in here too. But first things first. Annuities. An annuity is a stream of cash. It's not, well, I mean, technically a lump sum, what we were doing there is a stream of one. So it's an annuity with one cash flow component. But in general, an annuity is a series of payments over a period of time. Annuities kind of dominate our lives in financial terms. Your paychecks are an annuity. Uh, a pension is an annuity. Loan payments are an annuity. The value of a corporation is just an annuity of all the future expected cash flows year by year, all brought back to the present to find the current intrinsic value. Annuities show up all over the place, and I'll talk about a few here. But there are different flavors of them. Okay, there are level and non-level annuities. A level annuity means it's the same amount of money every time. A your payments on a car loan, payments on a house, those are an, a level annuity. The amount of money that you put into a, uh, a savings account, that's a level annuity. Most pensions that you get when you retire are level annuities. As a matter of fact, this university is one of some that I've I've run into. They don't call the retirees the uh, pensioner, pensioners. They call them annuitants because they are going to get an annuity for the rest of their lives. So, and it's the level one. It's just flat. Non-level, they aren't flat. Like for example, oh, good example is a corporation of uh, the dividends from a corporation. You get a dividend check every year. Well, it's not every year, but if you say it's every year, it's probably not going to be the same amount every time. It might grow, it might decay, it might not even be there some years, but that's a non-level annuity. Technically, you are right now in a, in a period in your life, you may continue to be in there, where your paychecks are an annuity, but they are non-level you'll have a different money amount in each of your paychecks. And even though there will be a time when you're all making big, big money, of course, it might not even be level then because it might have some growth path to it, some constant growth rate. Those are kind of fun. They're very easy formula if it's like that. But non-level annuities are out there. The reason that level annuities kind of dominate is because those are the ones, that's what payments on a loan are, is level annuities. It's the same amount you pay every month until you pay it off. Now there's another version of annuities. These, one way or the other, 
but you can also have ordinary annuity and you can have annuity due. Ordinary annuities are annuities where your payments all occur, each occur at the end of the period. Like when you take out a car loan, your monthly payments begin a month after you've gotten your loan. So it's ordinary. The annuity due, that one's a little weirder. There's one very, well, one dominant case where you would have an annuity where the payments are at the beginning of period. You immediately start making payments. Not a month later, right now. And where, why, how would that happen? Well, it does. Uh, I'm, oh, uh, you, sir, I think I'll bother you. Where would a, an annuity do happen in your life? Let me, tell, let me give you a scenario. You have you have a significant other, okay? Girlfriend, okay? Girlfriend, okay? I don't want to be, you know, too specific in that, but you've got a girlfriend, and she says those three words to you one night that change your freaking life completely. You know what those three words are? They're not "I love you." That they are. I am pregnant. <laughs> it happened to me. I didn't have any razor blades to kill myself. I mean, I, for God's sake. Well, you, you, you get through the initial shock, you know, and you no longer want to eat your cheeseburger at Red Robin. You're too upset. But the child is born. That birth time. I've been to five of them. I was exhausted. I mean, I was worn out after it was over. But you get up, you walk out of the delivery room, you get into your car and say, by God, I'm going to make it good for this kid. So right away, you say, I'm going to put $2,000 into the bank right now and every year on that kid's birthday. Until the kid, the, uh, through this, the 17th birthday, so that would be a total of 18 payments, annuity due because they're happening, and then I'm going to hold that money, and on the 18th birthday, I'm going to cut a check and give it to the kid and say, here, go away. No, you go, here, this is your 18th birthday. That's an annuity due. And it's actually kind of a classic one, too, where you begin when you have an inspiration or something like that. You start putting money aside. The year that you realize that you need a tax shield, and suddenly that's the first year you put money into your IRA account, so you've got something uh, that, that's um, protecting some of your income from taxes. So 
That is where an annuity due would happen. Now, it's actually pretty easy. You've got to be a little careful about it, but it, it, you've got to remember to do it. In Excel, we can calculate annuities like a boss. I mean, they're actually easy AF to calculate. However, you have to remember when you do the annuity formula, there will, the last thing you put in after you've said your interest rate, the cash flow, and the number of periods, and all, and the interest rate, the number of periods, cash flow, and all that kind of stuff, the last thing that you put in is a comma and a zero or a one. Now, if you don't remember that, it will assume it's a zero, an ordinary annuity. If you want it to be an annuity due, then you have to put in a comma one. Otherwise, it'll think it's a zero. It'll just default to a zero. You'll see what I mean here. Let me show you one. Okay, first we're going to do, we'll do a present value one. Okay. Uh, year. Uh, amount and um, over here let me give it a space here number of years just in case we need number of periods per year per year Oops, didn't mean to put that parenthesis uh, on there. Okay. So we're going to just have that set up. And we're going to use a couple of different formulas. The first thing we'll do is one where we have a level <coughs> amount. Let's say um, years, let's say 17, oh well, let's do 12 years. Compoundings per year, let's say that it's four, and the level amount is, well, $2,000. And we also have an annual interest rate. That's what you'll hear me call the APR. That's the old term, it's still around, but it's not around as quite as much as it used to be. Okay, so we're gonna have an APR of, let's say, 5.75%. Okay, so now we're just gonna do a level annuity. 
the present value. Whoops. Equals PV, open the parenthesis. Oops, didn't need to do that. PV, I want to kill that off. Present value, the rate. For this one, all I need to do is I'm going to put in the annual rate and making the level amount 2000 the rate sorry 5 divided by 4 comma the number of periods four times a year we're going to do this the up the number of periods I'm sorry four uh, times I hope I put in the years here. Yep, 12, comma, payments, $2,000 each. Now, that one, you see in the guide, FV in brackets, you would put that in only if you had some extra kicker at the end or at the beginning. That's the only way, reason, and you will never have that in this class, so you can ignore the FV. But you do want to say that this is an ordinary annuity. And don't ask me. It's going to give you present values as negatives. It just does that. For God's sake, on a test, don't put in a negative. As a matter of fact, if you want to abs remember, you can just put in absolute value here to make sure that it stays a positive. You don't have to do that. Just remember that when I ask you a question, the Excel is going to give you a negative present value. You just give me the positive. As a matter of fact, I'll probably just put that as a note on the question. Give me the absolute value. But there's your answer. That's the present value of $2,000 four times a year at an APR of 5.75%. So, a matter of fact, I think effect will give you that effective rate. All you have to do is put in the nominal rate, the APR, and the number of periods per year, comma, number of periods per year. Now that number should be a little larger than the APR, and it is. Five point eight eight percent. So remember effect gives you the effective rate. Just as a, so let me put that here.
Make sure you're doing these formulas. This will save you so much time on a quiz or a test. Just doing the Excel formulas. Notice how I always, and I've said this before, when I use Excel, I put the numbers in a place by themselves so that the formula never has to have a number in it. That way you can change the numbers and your answer will change instead of having to go back into the formula and replace the 12 with 6 or something like that. You just change the, uh, the necessary parameter and the formula stays solid. This is an Excel best practices. You will see almost always in corporate uh, Excel sheets. They, they even put it on a separate page, the actual parameter values, so that they can just call those from the, uh, from the sheet where they're actually doing the calculations. Now, let's try a future value. What would be the future value of this same thing? It equals FV. The rate per period divided by the number of, remember, it's a periodic. That's the thing that I was warning you about a while ago. Comma, the number of periods, would be the periods per year times the number of years. And then the payment. And then, let's do this one as an, an annuity due, like I described in that little skip. One, close the parenthesis. Whoops, I screwed that up. I put it on the wrong line. Hang on here. My ass. Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry. That's going to be much larger because you're actually compounding money all along the way. A present value discounts everything you put back to the present, but a future value compounds it. Now, watch this. A future value of an annuity due would have the money at the beginning of every period. If I had the money at the end of every period, the future value should be less. Watch. Because your last payment is going in right before you withdraw. So watch what happens if I change that one to a zero. Not much different. But it is a little smaller. And again, you get a negative, just give me the positive. But there you go. Those are that's how you calculate level annuities. Future value, present value. Now the classic version of an ordinary annuity. Uh, an ordinary level annuity is a payment. A payment. 
Okay, so let's say, sir, you decide to buy your dream home. It's a house trailer on the outskirts of Decatur. So it's cheap. But you, you're going to get a really nice one for, let's say, $120,000. $120,000. You're going to loan them out. $120,000. Now, the APR on the loan is, let's say, 6.59%. You're going to get this loan for let's say 30 years and the payments are monthly. Now always, if I say monthly, that means the compoundings are 12 a year. That is very typical for a loan, okay? So if I describe this, a problem very similar to this on an exam or a quiz, you should know it's 12. Because I'll ask you for the monthly payments. 12 per year. Okay? So now let's go through the grinder. What will your payment amounts be? It's an easy formula in Excel. You just say equals PMT, open the parenthesis. Now remember the rate is going to be the APR divided by the payments per year, comma, the number of periods is going to be the years times the payments per year. That's the only place that you might trip. Just remember, you have to divide the rate, multiply, the uh, periods. Divide the rate, multiply the periods. And then we're going to do a comma. And what's the present value? That's what you're going to take out for the loan. And you don't have to put in anything else. I'm just doing this for illustration. It's obviously an ordinary annuity. I'm just going to put in the zero, comma zero. You don't have to do that though. $765.60 a month are your payments. If you can get this formula into, your, into a little Excel template, then all you would have to do, suppose that I said, no, I want, I'm going to give you a problem with a car loan. You're going to buy a $35,000 car and an APR of 5.99% on a six-year loan with monthly payments. There's your payment amount. I didn't even have to do it. It just spit it out. They'll all be like this. If you've got the template for a loan, 
then all you have to do is change the numbers and you've got another low. Is that fun? Yes, it is. That's all I have for you. Uh, again, there's a quiz on Monday. That's all I have for you today. I thank you.